Blog Talk Radio. Plus channels for no hidden fees. Gotta love the fucking advertisements on YouTube. Anyways, enough about that. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, Russell Radio Network is remembering the life and legacy of Owen Hart. Granted, we have a lot to chat about tonight. Pizza Simpson will be joining in as soon as things get settled in. So... What to say about Owen Hart? Is there any matches that are very memorable with Owen? Are there anything that stood out in his career? Did he make or leave an impact, not only in professional wrestling, but did he leave an impact as a father, as an entrepreneur? Did he, you know, did he leave a memory worth talking about, worth discussing? Sorry, folks, if there's a little scratch on the microphone, but tonight we remember someone who isn't just known for being in WWE. I mean, this man started his career in 1983 and trained in Stu Hart's dungeon. Man had a lot of brothers, and from what I remember, a child, he was remembered not only as someone who was very technical, but someone who could make you hate him, love him, want to boo him, cheer him at the same time. So pre-Adam Cole, pre-Chris Jericho, ah, hell, it was pre-everybody else, right? A man can make a lot of mistakes, but he also could, you know, make up for it by giving the fans what we wanted. And that was someone to cherish, someone to not only cherish as a wrestler, but, I mean, I mean, the legacy that he leaves behind. I mean, he leaves his son, Oge, his daughter. I'm sorry if I cannot remember your name, dear. But his wife, Martha, it's not just from Dark Side of the Ring. It's not just things we remember 
uh, you know, why watch him on Peacock Network or whatever, or WWE. Owen was somebody who probably you wouldn't expect to be in professional wrestling because of his height, because he was so small, assuming his entire life that he was an underdog. And also, from what it says, you know, in the stats about Owen, he is quite the river. Could always give somebody one hell of a prank. One of my friends told me he used to grab duffel bags and he would put them way up high on chain link fences near the hotel. And who did he do this to? Did several people, folks. Mr. Perfect, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, when he, this is, you know, from the Hall of Fame speech, uh, Owen Hart basically pretended to be the pizza delivery guy. And I believe somebody caught on. Yeah, uh, Brett was talking about how he was trying to prank call Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And Hacksaw actually got so riled up, wondered who the hell it was. And I'm pretty sure my story's probably, you know, been told before. But, you know, as I said, Owen was quite the uh, the jokester. Um, also, folks, I'm sure I'm one of many little kids that got to meet Owen at Toys R Us in New York. They had a lot of signings going on, folks, at, uh, and, you know, that time, they still, you know, before pre-pandemic, before mask and all that, before the virtual shit, I got to tell you from experience, I like Owen a whole lot better than Brett, sorry. Brett was my uh, childhood hero, but not about me. Sorry, folks, I'm getting messages on Facebook already based on this episode, and also... By the way, if you want to contact us, speaking of contact, it's Russell underscore radio. That's the Instagram. On Facebook, it's Russell Radio Network forward slash Facebook.com. On Twitter, it's at underscore Brian Rails on Twitter or BTrain05000. That's my alternate Instagram, folks. So I do believe. The, yep, just got a notification from my co-host that he will be on in 10 minutes. It is fall, so apologize for the sniffling, folks. Um, probably my favorite memory of Owen Hart is I was saying, standing in line and getting his autograph. Standing in line for almost nearly... Ooh, Almost two hours, because it was an hour and 42 minutes, and I got there a little late. And I remember Owen asking me three times what my name was, because I was one shy bastard. And didn't really know how to interact with people. Still am learning that little trick. But uh, anyways, folks, Owen Hart will forever be remembered as the guy that was... 
wanting to leave or exit wrestling and just settle down and become a family man. Might even have become a producer later on in life if he wanted to. So I got to tell you, I find it alluring that we're discussing Owen Hart tonight because I'm pretty sure my partner in crime is going to mention this, but the Owen Hart Foundation has partnered with AEW, and in honor of him, they're doing a tournament cup. In his honor, I mean, Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega, multiple AEW superstars are participating in this event in remembrance of Owen Hart. So, not only has he become a tournament name, but Owen, like I said, asked me what my name was three times, got his autograph, even took a picture, which I I need to find, but it's not about me. Tonight's about Owen. The legacy that this man left behind is not one that is ever going to be forgotten. It's certainly steeped in controversy based on what happened on May 23rd, 1999, over the edge in your house pay-per-view. And I'm going to be saving this for later, but yours truly will tell you what transpired on that day and where I was and what the uh, the out overall feel was on that day. But see, that seems to be the only day that Owen was remembered, and that, uh, I believe, is a crock of shit. A lot of fun facts about Owen will pop out later during the show. I'm just trying to... Yes, past the time before pizza gets on here, but you know what? Here's the deal. When we watch legends go through this business, such as the Ultimate Warrior, Jake the Snake, On Michaels, The Undertaker, Kane, Tully Blanchard, Rick Flair, well, I can't mention, sorry. Cannot mention that name as of the moment, steeped in controversy. Speaking of controversy, legends that are remembered are are guys that have names that are synonymous in this business. Owen's name is probably a name that hasn't been used in quite some time. And so, granted, you won't hear much about Owen Hart until until you start talking about what happened on May 23rd, 1999, over the edge in your house pay-per-view. In Kansas City. Unfortunately, folks, that's where people forget that before Owen's death, I mean, there's so much, you know, going on mentally with Owen. And like I said, I I was not there personally in the household of Owen. I was not there when he said goodbye to his wife and his two kids so there seems to be like I said there's a lot of shit going on in this dude's mind before the pay-per-view man was literally being pushed aside as just a comical wrestler and he was okay with that because Owen you know during creative meetings would say I don't want to be a part of you know having an affair with Deborah McMichaels I do want to be portrayed as the sleazeball that sleeps around, you know, because you already had Val Venus for that. But what I'm getting at is Owen, probably from a mental state of mind, 
was not ready for what WWE was giving him. They pushed him to the nation of domination. They transitioned him from being just the not slapstick heel, but basically the heel basically was not afraid to do any kind of move to get the win in the ring. He was the guy that just wanted to settle down and based on his time schedule, I mean, I'm pretty sure he was tempted. Maybe not. Maybe he was a good guy. I don't know. I'm pretty sure he was tempted by looking at other women. I'm pretty sure it got lonely on the road, but, you know, he had family. At the time, he had before the screw job, he had Bret Hart, he had Jim Neidhart, Brian Pillman Sr. You know, it's really kind of funny to say that, but you get what I'm saying? He had people behind him. He had kind of you know kind of outlet but not really just wanted to spend time with his son his daughter his wife family and you know in canada so that he didn't have to be on the road 24 7 you know six out of the seven days a week or five out of the seven days a week and you know he was a tag team champion he was the intercontinental champion he was the european champion he won a slammy but those aren't the only accolades that owen's remembered by i mean let's see here He lived in a wrestling household, and he kind of, like I said, you get burned out by this shit. So I don't blame Owen one bit whatsoever wanting to get out of wrestling and then just have a normal fucking life and forget all that was, you know, transpiring around him. Because, one, you know, and if you know your wrestling history, Bret Hart literally got screwed out of the title because why? Well, this is not about Brett, but he did want to leave the company, and he didn't want to relinquish the title. So, in turn, Owen's still in the company. This is around 1997. They're not doing much with him except for giving him you know, shots at the Intercontinental title, putting him in precarious positions, you know. So, they transform, they transpose the gimmick, you know into what it was it was the blue blazer it was the original gimmick so therefore what i'm going to tell you right now is that owen hart's he had a really hard time adjusting what wwe was doing at the time and that was transitioning into the attitude era which was an era that became edgier. It became more like the era where it was either put up or shut up. You had to fight for your time to talk on the microphone. And when they gave Owen certain lines, it, wasn't, it just wasn't, like I said, it was an up and down career for him in wrestling. But there was one thing that was always constant, and that was him and his family. And I keep repeating this because it bears repeating. Owen was much more than a wrestler. And I'm going to, like I said, Pizza Simpson will be joining us shortly, folks. But before he does, I'm going to point some things out. If you were in his position and family was leaving right and left to go to the competing company, and it starts getting lonely because who do you share a locker room with? You share it with certain guys that know you or have known you over the years that you help coach. D'Lo Brown being one of them, Godfather being another. They've been around Owen for a very long time. But outside of that, 
what do you do when people you love and care about start leaving the office space that you have been around for over six, seven years of your career? It was definitely difficult, but Owen managed to shove it down and, you know, not complain about certain things. But as it's been well documented, Owen really pushed back against what the creative powers that be were telling him. And not just his career, folks, he was pushing against. He was trying to push for, you know, career security in the sense that he didn't want to end up in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And we all know how well that worked out because why? Like I said, May 23rd, 1999, Over the Edge, In Your House, Pay For You gets played over and over and over again. And unfortunately, some will always remember him for that. Well, he had a great career, but what do you remember him for? You ask some people, what do you remember Owen for? What was his main stamp on professional wrestling? He did have the same finish as his brother, which was great, but... He wanted to branch out of that. He wanted to be something outside of just being known as Brett the Hitman Hart's little brother. All right, or one of many. All right, folks. So please welcome to the show on this wonderful night discussing the career and legacy of the late great and always still great King of Hearts on Heart. Please welcome to the show the co-host that makes things happen. If you would please welcome Pizza Simpson. Oh, thank you for such a warm, warm introduction, Brian. It is good to be back, and it is good to be back with our listeners. And uh, I am honestly really looking forward to this conversation, to be honest. Yeah, me too, dude. First off, like, this is a huge move. This whole thing is coming from um, AEW partnering with Martha Martha Hart to um, include um, Owen in the AEW video game, which is incredible, and then having the Owen Hart Cup. I think that is just a great, great move to honor this man's legacy, and I'm glad they're doing it. I'm glad they're doing it, too, because it's been probably, yeah, it's been about 22 years since you have heard Owen's name being, I mean, it's been mentioned, don't get me wrong, but in the sense that it's been included in professional wrestling has been quite some time. Yeah, that's true, and I respect where Martha's coming from and not wanting to have anything to do with the WWE because in her eyes and in many people's view, they sent him off to die. I mean, they literally on that day, speaking of which, folks, I don't know where you were on that day. And I don't, I'm pretty sure I'm one of many fans that was in Kansas city at that time or watching on pay-per-view. I was at, I was there when Owen, um, actually went up, you know, to that big old scoreboard in Kemper, but it's now known as the High V Arena. 
um, and walked up there. The harness wasn't even passable to have an infant being inside that harness. And then, and you listen to Martha Hart on Dark Side of the Ring describe who was in charge of the pulley system. So whoever was in charge, she said, needed to be fired. She's right, because that, that harness was not safety for any human being, even a child. To be going through that, but you know, my my trainer who was also there, you know, before in rehearsals, he said to me that they're practicing all day long, just swinging Owen, you know, back and forth, they're swinging him, you know, just having fun, palling around, and I just wonder, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, at 13 years old, you know, at actually 12 years old, um, I went with a friend to see that pay per view in your house, uh, over the edge in your house pay per view. And the last thing I remember, folks, it was such a fucking blur. It was so loud, uh, a lot of pyro. Um, at the time, Kane and Xbox uh, defending their tag titles. But that's side the point. Um, before Owen's uh, descent to death, as I like to phrase it, uh, there was a hardcore match. There was like uh, Al Snow versus Hardcore Holly or something like that. And I remember watching Owen just descend from that scoreboard it was really bad um and jim Cornette described the whole incident when you hear owen saying get out of the way get out of the way here the guy is he already snapped his neck on that fucking harness and then he internally bleeds to death because he hits the buckle so fucking hard i dude we all because the way the impact was um from Owen hitting the ring, we all thought it was like a joke because the way the impact that he fell, um, you know, we thought he was making, you know, it was a joke about Sting because they were having Sting come from the rafters and all that. So the answer, WWE's answer to it right then and there was have Owen, you know, come from the cable. But long story short, um, we thought it was a joke, but when the police came in the ring and they saw him getting carted off, and then on dark side of the ring, I'm going to keep going in and out with this. Jerry Lawler went to the back, and then he came back out and told JR, Owen's dead. He's white as a fucking ghost. Owen's dead. Um, I was in a state of shock when I saw it in the paper the next day uh, before I went to class, and I was just like, my God, man, is this for real? And it was yeah. real. It was real. It was sad. Yeah, bro. It it definitely was. And I remember I was watching the pay per view live, and I uh, I uh, just remember Jim Ross's face having to make that call and having to tell everyone that Owen Hart died. What a what a what a horrible thing! What a horrible responsibility put on this poor man, and being so close to everyone. What a horrible way to die! He died in a horrible spectacle, and it. I remember just watching the rest of the show and just feeling like numb to it. Like I I can't even remember anything about the rest of the fucking show, and. To be honest with you, they should have ended the they should have ended the show. Someone died in a well, freak fucking accident. My my trainer told me this story, and you know this is what was said. Vince asked the boys, 
did you or do you want to continue the show? And in the words of Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett was the one that said Owen would have wanted us to continue. So to me, like, I just, I'm with you on the fact that out of respect, because you can clearly see the ring caved in from where Owen fell. And I do like, I, I just remember the crowd just acts like, you know, nonchalantly like nothing happened because we were not aware that Owen was already dead. We, I mean, until you watch the replay on Peacock of that pay-per-view specifically, I don't know if they cut out the part where Jim Ross came on live there and saying Owen Hart has passed on. Or I'm gonna. Whatever. I gotta correct you. I don't think that show is on the the, the network. I think there's okay. there's like a small handful of shows that haven't made it for whatever reason. But I can almost bet my leg that that show is not on the network. And especially now with Peacock being extra sensitive. I mean, and and good and in good conscience, why would you want to watch that again? You know, I, I honestly, dude, I, I don't want to watch it. I was there live, and I can speak from experience. Like, it was such a blur because at 12 years old, I mean, you remember certain things like your first kiss your mm-hmm. or your first uh, dance. But when you witness death, like, that's really something you don't want to recall. But I, every day... Yeah. When I uh, remember being taken by my, it was a birthday gift, you know, and I was born May 25th, just so you know, folks, it's not about me, but Owen was also born in May. Interesting fact. Um, To hear the stuff that Owen's wife had to endure, like, I I really feel bad for her that they, when she Mm -hmm. tried to, you know, sue the company and not that, but she actually won the settlement against the city of Kansas City and the the company that made the harness for good reason, folks. I mean, that's her fucking husband, the father of her kids. How are you supposed to – it's not just about the money, but it's like how do you fathom – you said, well, Owen, you know, uh, you know, have a good weekend or whatever to your husband as he's walking out the door, and then all of a sudden you hear a phone call, and, oh, uh, you know, she thought it was a joke, and it's just like, my God, like – I just it infuriated me that her own family, her own in-laws were trying to prevent her from suing Vince McMahon. The you know, he's steeped in controversy as is with a lot of shit. But this one this one incident in particular where it's someone's life and you're going to sit there and critique or criticize somebody and say no man blah blah blah. That just, I respect Vince. I, I applaud the man on certain things, but this, it, I just have to steer clear of certain, you know, conversations because I was there. So was other thousands of people that flooded that arena on that day. And normally, folks, you do not see or witness someone's death. But to hear the words pop out of Vince's mouth saying it was <clears throat> Owen's choice. Mm, okay, I, I do have issue with that. I uh, really think that is that's basically like just trying to deflect. I don't think that he would have 
chose to go up there. I think he was just being the good company man. And I, uh, it sucks, man. It sucks. It really, really, really sucks. And I really, and I really respect Martha for finally wanting to um, acknowledge Owen's um, contributions to wrestling because she always hated it. You know, they always hated that he was gone every weekend. And here it is, this sport killed him. And, you know, it, it, it took all this time to move forward. And it's such a huge thing that that she's finally able to let go, not just for us, but for herself and for, and for her kids. And that's just, that's commendable. And I think the Owen Hart Cup is going to be absolutely fantastic. And what a what a great idea. I not only think it's a great idea, partner, but I do had I did tell you I took some interesting career notes about Owen. And uh, oh yes, start... let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let's before. Let me ask you, what was the first time you saw Owen Hart? Um, to be honest with you, the first time I saw Owen was WrestleMania 10 versus Brett. If I'm being honest, I don't recall any of his yeah. early stuff. But I remember. Like, my, I used to have a close friend in Brooklyn, and he always would cheer for Brett, and that you know, always would irk. I always would go against my friends who they cheer for back in the day, folks. Just so you know, I was the only kid that thought Sean would beat Brett. I also was the only kid cheering for Owen at WrestleMania 10 because I absolutely – I liked Brett, don't get me wrong, but I just wanted to see someone beat him finally outside of the British Bulldog at Wembley Stadium. Right. So when I saw WrestleMania 10, I was at a friend's house in Queens, and they're like, oh, he's the only one cheers Owen. He's going to lose. He's going to lose the bet. When little kids, folks, should not be gambling. But that night, I won 20 bucks. I won 20 bucks. So, ha. You know what I mean? Like, I was so excited when Owen won, and they all were like, oh, you just gotta look, you, this is rigged, oh yeah, like, I can predict wrestling matches, fuckers, I really was so happy to see Owen beat Brett, it was the only one, and the only one that was also happy, folks, just so you know, that when Ciampa beat Gargano in NXT TakeOver in Chicago, that fucking place was like, cricket, cricket, chirp, chirp, and <laughs> like I said, you know, I don't like going for what everyone likes. So let's get into this. So he was born. Um, May what if? Oh, go ahead. Uh, what a fant- uh, what a what a fantastic what a fantastic fucking introduction to Owen Hart. You your first match seeing him was one of the best matches in WrestleMania history. <laughs> Just saying. I, like I said, me personally, dude, like, I didn't mind Brett. I just wasn't, I was the kid that basically always, almost always picked the guy that was not supposed to win. So, right. let's see, Sean versus Vader, Owen versus Brett, Razor Ramon versus Shawn Michaels, everyone and their brother's mother on that day in Queens, I guarantee fuck to you, predicted that 
Shawn Michaels would, you know, be the true Intercontinental Champion. I was like, no, I believe the bad guy is going to win this one, boys. I was the only one. We we went through, like, prediction sheets, and they get, like, on a piece of paper, us as kids, man, we did better than that than we did on our own homework. So, like, that was, like, the preparation for that. So Yeah. um, Anyway. Little back. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) No, go ahead, man. I'm sorry. It's all right. A little backstory about that. Leading up into that, I was I watched a lot of WWF at that time, and um, I was really like engrossed by that feud because like I had a little brother. I mean, I would not had, but I have a little brother, and uh, you know, I it it just drove me crazy that like he would be, like, interfering with, like, Brett and, like, feuding with Brett. I was just so, like, mad because I thought, like, this is his big time. This is his chance. This is his big break. He's going up against Yokozuna. He doesn't need this bullshit. Like, what an asshole. So, like, being – I was seventh grade, so, like, I really hated Owen Hart, and I – what I hated more was he was such a good wrestler. Like, he was, like – just like Brett, you know, but a little better, a little faster. He did a little bit more. He jumped off the top ropes. Like, you know, he did sweet-ass flying fucking drop kicks. Like, Owen Hart was awesome, and I hated him for it. <laughs> All right, so, partner, let me see here. On my, like, notes, I put, like, um, so May seventh, 1967, he was born. Met Martha, and they, he was an amateur wrestler, so they met during a wrestling meet and married. Uh, he trained at Stu Hart's Dungeon. He worked for Stampede Wrestling, and Max Crabtree was the promoter. Okay, so, wow, I'm getting a lot of shit on Instagram. This is pretty cool, folks. Um, <laughs> if you have any questions or stuff being... You know, you're just giving us kudos right now. That's cool. But if you have any questions for Pizza or myself, it's Wrestle underscore Radio like you've been doing, folks. So if um, there's anybody in Toronto, Calgary, Alberta, or anyone that's listening Montreal, please feel free to message us because you guys are amazing, and thank you for listening to my incessant rambling. So, oh, my God, for real? What's this? Okay, so anyways, as I continue this note, folks, so um, says, let's see here. In 1986, he became a stampede, and then also it technical says, difficulties. Oh, he was. Sorry, can you hear me? <laughs> I can hear you now. Okay. PWI Rookie of the Year, 1987. He feuded with Johnny Smith and Dynamite Kid. I found that pretty cool. I did not know that about him, that he had a feud with the Dynamite Kid. Yeah, and then... uh, Oh, my God. Like, that's bananas. Dynamite Kid, innovator. One of the best in 1987. (laughs) I mean, the flying headbutt was incredible. And then you had the young upstart... Owen Hart, who was doing backflips off the top rope in 1987, come on. They were lighting Canada up. And Johnny Smith is awesome, too. 
Also, I did know this about Owen. I did not know that he uh, spent time in MPJW. Says that he did so in 1987. And here's another cool fact about Owen that you're not quite sure. Of. I'm not quite sure. Of. Still to this day, in May or May 27, 1988, he defeated Hiroshi Hase for the IWGP yes. title, and he's the first non-Japanese uh, champion. And then he lost it again to the same guy. But dear Lord, dude, to be the first ever non-Japanese IWGP champ before Moxley, before all them, Owen was definitely a groundbreaker for that. Because honestly, man, like what's so cool is um, I started reading this shit about Owen. I did not know this. Also, that you know, from 1983 to 1988 was that time frame. In 1988. He was already pretty um, like WWF. He was the blazer. But I also – I found this so cool because I'm like, well, I did some digging, you know. And uh, he went in Blue Blazer or Blue Angel, and he debuted on <laughs> Survivor Series. And I, I, I completely – most of this just goes over my head, dude. He teamed with the Ultimate Warrior, Brutus the Beefcake yep. Barber, Jim Ruzel, and Sam Houston. He was eliminated, okay, and they went up against Honky Talk Man, uh, Greg Valentine, Outlaw, Ron Bass, you know, Ron Bad News, Ron Bass, Bad News Brown, and Dangerous Danny Davis. Davis. Davis, sorry, is eliminated by uh, Valentine. So, you know, I think that the really cool thing about Owen before then, and then also, folks, here's a little fun. This bogs my mind. He was briefly in WCW in 1991. Like, no joke. He briefly touched base with that company in 91, but because of the travel schedule, like, he he originally... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, so... Um... Where was I? So look, so um, think about it. Like 1987 to like cut your teeth to go from Dynamite Kid to from Dynamite Kid straight to Japan like that. That's incredible. And and having these matches with Hiroshi Hase, who's a fucking legend? Who's a fucking legend? And then having and then having matches with the the uh Jushin Liger before he before he put the costume on Owen Hart was really getting it in with uh before he even got to the WWF and when he came in as the Blue Blazer that Survivor Series match everybody you've named off is pretty much a Hall of Famer bro think about that your first fucking match and you're in there with Greg the Hammer Valentine <laughs> You know, what a what a start. What a fucking start. But, like, how long could he have gone with a blue blazer? <laughs> I don't know, and I don't think that would have lasted very long for him. Yeah, then jumping over to WCW. WCW in 1991 was really just a revolving door because that's when um, – that's when uh, Jim Hurd was in, and I'm 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 thinking 
the Blue Blazer gimmick would have pretty much worked for Jim Hurd because he liked goofy-ass gimmicks because he, he liked the ding-dogs and the humpbacks and stuff like that. So maybe the timing off, the timing was a little off there. I think the timing was off, but I also think it's amazing that, you know, like the fact that Owen was bouncing from promotion to pro- and he stayed and tenured, you know, in Japan for as long as he did, and then he went back to doing, you know, Stampede in 91, and then he went to do a Mexican tour. I'm like, you wonder why Owen was able to do some of the handspring elbows and the insiguries and just all kinds of funky moves that he did in the ring that made you go, wow, I hate this dude, but he's got some cool moves. I thought it was funny, you know, when he blew a snot rocket at Shawn Michaels during, you know, during his match with Shawn. I mean, he did have a few with Shawn. He did have kind of a few with Diesel. But if you wonder why Owen did have some edge on some or certain guys and certain moves. You wonder where Chris, uh, Chris Jericho got his influence from. You wonder where, um, you wonder where certain guys get the insecurity from. Hmm. That's, I mean, a lot of people say, well, there was an insecurity before Owen true, but Owen made his famous. So every time he did that and people would be like, Oh, that hurts. <laughs> you know, that looks like it hurts. Or his drop kicks, as the uh, as Pizza Simpson mentioned, it's just Owen had a lot of stuff. And that's pretty much. Oh, oh, oh! Oh, sorry. Um, so. So after uh, leaving after leaving WCW and coming back, he formed that team with Coco Beware and uh, he formed a tag team with Coco Beware and Jim D'Anville Nightheart all around the same time. I um, didn't really think too much of his uh, team with Jim D'Anville Nightheart. Or uh, I, I liked Coco Beware because I was a fan of the Brain Buster because I was always a fan of someone getting dropped in their head. But it really wasn't until that whole thing with that whole thing with Bret Hart took off, man. He was kind of just like, kind of like how Chris Jericho was in '96, like the smiling blonde baby face who you know was really good in the ring, but he was a fucking dork. But after when he turned on Brett, that's when he really got to show who he is and really get to show some character and go at his brother. And that produced some of the best matches in WWF history. First, the, uh, the match that we mentioned, the first the match that we mentioned at WrestleMania 10, but also their fucking cage match. Do you remember their uh, SummerSlam cage match? When all their family ran in the ring after the match because Brett was yeah. hung upside down, I think like that. Yeah, it was so. It was uh, so them having a cage match and having the family out there was just huge drama. And I believe the British Bulldog was in the audience as well. 
also that brought the Bulldog back after I believe a I believe a, a stint in WCW. Yeah, he had a brief stint in WCW. Did Bulldog and what well, kind of I guess pre Heart Foundation? I guess like before right. you know what I mean. Yeah, man. And so uh, after that, like, he ended up, they ended up all linking up and, like, with Jim Cornette. You remember, do you remember the run with uh, Jim Cornette and him tagging with Yoko Zuna? Yeah, they ended up winning the tag titles after smashing the fuck out of the smoking guns. I really like that shit, man. I didn't like the smoking guns at all. So seeing seeing them get their asses kicked was pretty dope. And getting to see Jim Cornette and Owen Hart get the feet off of each other, which was also really great, and that made for a lot of good promos. Cornette, <clears throat> excuse me, let me get my bearings here. So, Jim Cornette and Owen Hart being a pair was definitely great, especially when uh, Yokozuna turned on Cornette, I believe, in 95, and then um, I believe... 96. He, 96, I'm sorry. My, my math's a bit off, folks, but like, I thought it was just wonderful because I am a huge fan of Cornette. I know people are going to hate me for saying that. Not of his outside stuff, but folks, of his wrestling, Cornette was a great contributor. Um, it was a great, you know, it was a great uh, um, pairing, Cornette, Owen, and Yokozuna and Bulldog and Vader at the time. Because why? You have a catalyst that was the country version of Paul Heyman. Okay, less vulgar, just more, more you know, in your face. I'm the... I'm the guy that's going to manage this guy and he's going to be champion or he's going to find a dirty way to win, you know. One of my favorite managers also, by the way. And Owen, he just fits the mold in that time for, in that time period of wrestling. Because who did he rival? He, let's see here, <clears throat> still was, you know, hating Brett, really trying to mess up that the whole motif of Brett the Hitman. Yeah. So that was uh, 95, so yeah, he yeah. was fighting He was fighting Diesel, he was fighting Shawn Michaels, pretty much Ahmed Johnson, I believe, was around at that time. Yeah. So <clears throat> in 95, Owen Hart was probably the top heel in the company, and that tag run actually was beneficial to Yokozuna, who was getting more up in weight, and... Owen was able to get a lot in and do and be the workhorse of the team while um, Yoko just came in and was the, like the cooler and hit a couple of things and then maybe a then a, um, a bonsai drop and you know Owen and Yoko win the tag belts or win the match. Yeah, I just find it interesting. Owen never really got, and this is what bugs me. His brother, of course, because of fame, got the World Heavyweight Championship. But Owen has always seemed to be circled around because he used to push back, you know, at the powers that be. 
European champion twice, tag team champion four times. Um, you know, he was the European champion, but intercontinental champion. But if you look, what's missing, folks? The WWE championship. It never went around his waist because that man unfortunately died in 99. But um, he was the top heel in 95. And I remember vaguely as a kid because I... I really wish sometimes I could watch the In Your House favorites. I only watched one or two at a friend's house. And I just remember seeing guys like DiBiase, Owen Hart, Bret Hart, you know, um, Diesel, Sean. Sean was heavily involved on those. You know, dude, out of all his feuds, out of all of Owen's feuds, my favorite was probably, this is going to sound biased, I liked the Diesel feud because he really knew how to piss a big man off. But I, um, like the ultimate favorite feud of mine was Shawn Michaels. You know that was a little tough because that was around the time that uh, that was a little tough because that was around the time that Shawn was having all those concussions and whatnot. And uh, seeing Shawn like collapse in the ring as a child was pretty tough to watch so yeah but you know after learning later on down the road that he's uh you know Shawn Michaels was actually fucking um you know got his ass kicked by a bunch of by a bunch of guys that's a whole nother story but yeah I could see I could I could definitely say the stuff with Shawn Michaels was very good and it produced a lot of fucking good in-ring work it not only produced good ring work, but it was very memorable because, like I said, not only the moments where Owen was being literally nasty with Sean because you want someone that's going to bring the best out of you. And back in the day, as Cornette has stated and others, Sean was the prick. <laughs> and essentially, it was hard to get him to work with anybody that he didn't, you know – Proceed to saying getting along with, but you know, Owen was definitely one of those workhorses that he would make anybody look good. Anybody, including from Diesel, which, yeah, that took at the time, you know, Shawn Michaels was mentoring. And then you had Razor Ramon or Psycho Sid. But it, it was WWE or F back then comprised of huge dudes, okay? And Owen was not the biggest guy in the bunch, but man, could he, he fucking work. He worked his fucking ass off. Yes, yes. sir. <clears throat> worked his ass off. And, cause, and he had to because he had all these fucking trees he had to chop down and work with, so he had to be fucking good. So um, let's see, where are we at? This is about 1996. Um mm. Let's see, what was he doing in 96, man? I forgot, like, a little bit of everything. Um, so the uh, when he turned 96, so, yeah, man, so, like, the let's just jump to the things with, uh, so the Hart Foundation get back together. Bretton, Bretton, Shaw, I mean, Bretton Owen uh, reunite. They, he reunites. Uh, he gets on the same page with Owen and British Bulldog to form the, form that that Heart Foundation. And uh, 
I fucking loved the Heart Foundation and what a perfect group to go against Steve Austin. That that those guys made Austin, man. And yeah, fucking great TV. Like I agree with you a hundred percent because without Brett, without Owen, without everybody in that group, including his former tag team partner in WCW, Brian Pillman, like the whole elements, you know, you have Canadians versus Americans. Technically, Pillman's from America, but then he tried to partner with Austin. Austin said no go. And essentially, without Brett, the Man Hart, man, I hate saying this about you, dude, but if it wasn't for your whiny bitch ass about. You know, the Montreal Screwjob, which was fucked up. But if it wasn't for that moment in wrestling history, you would not have essentially Stone Cold Steve Austin's character evolving in the company. I don't know if it would have been the ratings would have dropped on the show. or probably would have. But if it wasn't for Brett getting screwed, Austin's career would not have skyrocketed as much as it did. Also, open, you know, the, the ever so famous pile driver moment where Austin was temporarily paralyzed after they had just discussed about doing a pile driver. And, um, you know, he asked Owen, Austin did, are you dropping to your knees or are you dropping to your ass? And he goes, oh, I'm dropping to ass. Well, I don't think we should do that because it's not very safe. And Owen said, I'm still dropping to my ass. Yeah, I give the man credit. I mean, he may not have uh, recognized that move was unsafe. Austin didn't really do well with that match, but you know they finished. And it was the, that was that. But ever, you know, we're in 1996. Sorry, folks, I digress. But that was, you know, Owen when he joined with forces with his brother. Holy shit, those promos were very, very good. Yeah, man, that was a that was a great time for him, and it's just really unfortunate because um, when Brett left, when Brett left, when Brett left um, WWF after the Montreal Screwjob, and that in itself is a whole can of worms, you know, to get into on another time. Definitely not right now. Um, he should have he should have just left with he should have just left with the family and gone to WCW because albeit like he had a great he had a great year afterwards when he was teaming with Jeff and um <laughs> my favorite thing my favorite thing it was when Owen was in the Nation of Domination. I love that so much because here you have a big bunch of big angry, you know, they're a bunch of big fucking dudes. And uh, here's here's Owen leading the charge. And you got Mark Henry, who's big as the fucking, as big as the moon. And then you got D'Lo Brown. The Godfather, The Rock, and Owen Hart leading the charge. That was incredible to me. I love that. I think they should have kept that Nation of Domination story because Owen, you know, reverting as a character that was supposed to be more edgy, supposed to adjust to 
attitude. You like you said, you had the elements of Mark Henry, who's a brick house on feet, quite literally. Then you have the the Rock and Devo Brown and the Godfather at the same time, and Owen just did, you know, he did his thing, and I was like, wow, you know, no matter where you put Owen, the man was always a performer. That's what you're supposed to do in wrestling. You're supposed to be the the guy that can adjust to whatever the promoter or creative tells you. Well, like, after Nation of Domination, what, you know, they kind of just treated Owen like a fucking mid-carder, and it really, at that point, it was like, wow, you're treating the guy who's been really loyal to your company for the last seven almost eight years at that time you're going to treat him like dog shit like after the fact you gave him a great story like the nation of domination you're going to give him the option of having an affair with deborah mcmichaels really okay i think that i think that what happens in w and and what happens in wwf all the time is just they have something for you and then they don't and then a bunch of time goes by and um, they, uh, st- I, I like, for some reason, I like that they just stuck in with Jeff Jarrett. And uh, they went on to have, like, a sick little run. And, you know, you might, for, you, like, people forgot they, they were tag team champions together. And they, were, they had the Intercontinental title and, like, the European title. Like, they had belts and was kicking fucking ass and taking names. And nobody knew because Steve Austin and Tri- Steve Austin, Triple H, The Undertaker, The Rock was also was also hot at the time. You really didn't pay attention to much else of the w- the WWF mid card, which was too bad. And um, which leads us to '99, and let's not get back into that and repeat ourselves, but. Uh, yeah, going back to the Blue Blazer was just really stupid. And I really, what a fucking, fuck, I'm, fuck Vince Russo, man. There was absolutely, it was incredibly stupid to just throw that dumbass mask on him at a time where, in 1999, where it was it was not gonna fly he was gonna just, you were just sending this dude off to be fucking laughed at and made fun of because everybody was macho and badass and ecw and blood and guts and hardcore and and uh attitude and who the fuck was wanted to see the blue blazer fuck that man <laughs> I, just really I don't know i was hoping that owen would do like um at that time i was telling my friends i go i really wish before he passed on, that he would like, you know, have something to do with, you know, the screw job was stone cold or something like that. And he's like, Austin screwed Austin or something, you know, something to revive his fucking character. But no, like, I think it would have been like the mental eval coming to mind when you think of Owen, especially during that time. Like you said, it's like a lamb led the fucking slaughter. Like, how can you. How can you seriously approve of what he was doing in the ring? But on Dark Side of the Ring, you know, <clears throat> his wife said Owen was the one that always pushed back. Thank God for that, man. God rest your soul, but thank you. 
for being the wrestler that paved the way for wrestlers who didn't really want to live under the scrutiny of being the fucking stereotype gimmick and just being the same as everyone else, like generic, bland, boring, what have you. Unfortunately, Owen fell under the whole, oh, you know, it's a job, I'll do my job. He was on his way out, man. Like, you could fucking tell he really wasn't the same Owen Hart that he was in 95, 96, and so on and so forth. Yeah, which is really, really, really unfortunate because there was a lot of great talent coming in at, coming in with the next year, year and a half. And what's it's really unfortunate what how everything worked out. And fast forward, after all the bad vibes and all the bad shit that's happened, you know, it's I guess we're moving forward and, you know, great – Great on Martha for partnering partnering with AEW and trying to cherish his legacy, and I I I, I just think that's great, man. I think that's great. I just look forward to the future. That had to take a lot for Martha though, because look at the shit that she went through um, as far as a widow goes, you know, in in the life of professional wrestling, like. Um, I'll I'll just revert this back to uh, an episode that I watched on Dark Side of the Ring. I love watching that show because it's amazing. But uh, she wasn't, you know, she was very fortunate that when Owen around, that he was very loyal. He was a very loyal spouse, and to remember his legacy, to include him in a video game, to include him as uh, his name in a tournament cup in AEW, that had to take a lot of courage for Martha. And a lot of willpower because she, like you said, she hated wrestling. She probably still does, but she's honoring her husband's legacy. And what he left behind was not just in vain. So, yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah, man. I am too. I am too. And I'm, I'm happy to see that, like, she's just trying to move forward because, Losing your husband like that can definitely be something that keeps you in the shitter. Keep you keeps you in the fucking shit, man. Keeps you fucking you know. It's gonna fuck her whole life up and like it's like destroyed her family. And it you know it really did because like it she was lambasted not only by the WWE itself but. Like, you can't sue us. We weren't responsible, blah, blah, blah. It was his choice and blah, da, da. <clears throat> Imagine that. I mean, years later, after not only hearing it, I, I witnessed his death, like I said, with thousands of other uh, red-blooded Americans that sat there in that arena. But, you know, recalling his death and, and then to honor it years later in a wrestling company that's non-WWE, there's reasons for that. For those to one... Yeah, for the one who asked the question, do you believe that he'll... This is a sore subject, but I'm going to bring this up. I got asked the question, my friend, on Instagram a while back and now. Do I believe Owen Hart belongs in the Hall of Fame? Dude, that's like a sensitive, sensitive subject. But I'm going to elaborate on that. I don't think his name should be involved in the country which his family feels uncomfortable with. So... That's up to them, and until they relinquish their hold on that, they're probably not going to, my friend. And I, I, Owen was, but 
I hate to say it, he will not end up in the Hall of Fame. I yeah, he definitely will not be in the WWF Hall of Fame as long as it's a WWF Hall of Fame. That's just not going to happen, and it's just not going to happen. It won't. I, I'm I'm sorry. I'm I, I just there's just too much. It's just too much bad vibes. Too much bad juju there. That's that's just got to be one of those things you just have to let go. And you just have to look at a perspective. You have to look at it from the perspective of the family. I'm sorry for his uh, and, contribution and his legacy that he's that he has. 100%, he should be, but because of that personal reason, it just ain't gonna happen. Yeah, I'm gonna just—that's Captain Obvious question right there. Like that's the same as asking if I believe. You know, this is gonna be a subject for later. We're not gonna reveal what, but it's something somebody. Also, you know, it was to earn their spot in the Hall of Fame. It would just be a distraction. And you all know who I'm referring to. We're not going to call out the elephant in the room. And I'm not going to say the the person's name. But the Canadian, really, the Canadian baby murderer. Okay, the cat's out of the bag, folks. <laughs> well... I mean, it's the truth. I mean, folks, you don't have to watch a documentary on Dark Side of the Ring. I, I remember that shit back when I was in high school. Dude was fucking amazing and ring. He was very reminiscent of the Dynamite Kid. But look what happened to the Dynamite Kid, and look what happened to... Well, I'll fucking say it. Look what happened to Benoit. The difference between Owen Hart and Benoit was one's legacy. One did not fucking murder two kid, or a child, okay? Let me explain this to you. So that we can clarify this. Yes, it's sad that Owen will not be included in the WWE Hall of Fame, but because his wife has grievances and legit grievances, that's why. Benoit and Chris Jericho said it best. If you told him what his future would be, he would look at you and he'd cry. The man absolutely tainted a fucking legacy just by, you know... The, the fucking sheer acts that he did was so wrong, but not enough Benoit. This is about Owen. Sorry, getting you know backtracked. Okay, so okay, so sorry, folks. Your Instagram questions are really keeping me up at night. I really sorry, folks. Tends to be distracting. You got some more? You want to feel? You got some more? You want to field some fucking Instagram questions? I just literally have congratulations. You're talking about Owen. He's a good dude. XOXO. And the other one happened to ask the question about Hall of Fame. So I think that's the only two lone questions on our Instagram, which is cool, guys. We want you to interact more with us. We want you to, hell, dude, even call in if you want. If oh, you're, How old are you? You're 17 and you're listening to our shit. How cool is that? Continue. Where are you from? You don't want to, Okay. Oh, cool. <clears throat> really? You're up this late on a school night? That's awesome. Hopefully you don't repeat whatever I say because I just ramble. So, <laughs> Do you have any questions for pizza? Any questions for me? Is this about Owen? Did we lose you? I guess we did. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> okay. Any other questions, folks? Wrestle underscore radio, Wrestle Radio Network for us Facebook dot com. Uh, or you know, you can directly message Pizza on his Instagram. I have like 
all this time in the world, folks. We've got like over like under an hour. So if you have any questions, you can even call us at two one three nine four three three four two two. It's toll free. You don't have to pay. Come on, we're we're that we're we're those cheap bastards for now until we become famous. So um yeah, let's wrap that up, man. So uh Owen Hart, AEW, that's a thing now. Finally, we get to yeah, we get to, we get to hear a little bit. I'm just stumbling. Go ahead. Sorry, um, but it's been 22 years since we've heard Owen's name involved in pro wrestling. Just like it had been so long since CM Punk had been involved in wrestling in seven years, involved in in ring action. But that's not anything to do with Owen. But I hope you know and pray that the Owen Hart Cup does you know justice. And I also hope and pray that uh, people tune in and watch what AEW presents because we know it's going to be really fucking awesome. And um, what else? We know we repeat ourselves in circles, man. But um, we will be doing more stuff like this just to break the uh, monotonous reviews, you know, and all this shit going on. But yours truly, folks, uh, segue into this. Pizza Simpson has been working very, very hard. And because of his hard work, we just want to point this out just to segue off topic for a minute, if you will. We have now reached over 8,000 listens for Russell Radio Network. And we'd like to thank you all for you know listening to this shit. But you know who was the man behind this genius? It's Pizza Fucking Simpson. The man is a fucking workhorse for this Russell Radio Network. I'm telling you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, and um, I really saw this as just a chance to really sink my teeth into something and really just try to offer something new and just really try to take this thing to the next level. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure that the shows were good, good, and you know, you were getting it in, and you know, I just felt like you needed a fresh coat of paint and let's take, let's do it, man. Let's fucking, let's, wrestling, <clears throat> wrestling, well, the thing, about, the, what's great about professional wrestling is that, like, we don't have to just watch WWF, I mean, WWE. We don't have to just watch what is there. There's a ton of shit. There's a ton of things to watch. All you got to do is just dig and look a little bit and use your noodle and go, go, you know, you know, look at like Kenny Omega and like go dig up some New Japan. Go dig up some DDT. Or you like Brian Danielson so much, or you like his run in, in WWE and you liked all that stuff. Maybe check out the stuff he did in Ring of Honor. There's other things to do. You know, you don't have to just be handcuffed to freaking WWE te- television. I don't know. Maybe that's me, and I just wanted to just bring that to the table. Dude, I mean, yeah, because I felt like the only shit that I've been literally talking about for the entire, what, three, four years before you came on this show was literally, it was it was raw, SmackDown Live, occasionally what happened or what was going to happen through AEW, not even that, but, like, when you came... It literally opened up the doors to like, oh, yeah, I can talk about this. I can talk about that. Let's not talk about reviews because that, let's 
face it, folks. If I if we sat here and talked about fucking reviews, I think I was gonna lose my shit. Why? Because if you do the same stuff over and over, it becomes monotonous. And we all know that when things get fucking stale, you lose listeners. And when you lose listeners, that makes myself actually Pizza Simpson and myself very very upset because. We want you to tune in. We want you to be invested in what we're presenting to you, to the to you as the audience. We don't want you to think that we're talking about straight up about, you know, deathmatch here, WWE there. Oh, here's a sprinkle of AEW, which Pizza Simpson does a magnificent job on, by the way. And and, pre, and presentation is nine tenths of the law on my show, on our show, I should say. And Pizza came in and basically, like, polished me up and was like, no, fucker, we need to talk about something different. And let me just be honest with you. This whole Owen Hart segment means a great deal because, like I said, I was there with thousands of other red-blooded Americans that love pro wrestling. And at the time, that shit, at the time, it was as hot as what AEW is now. So you could barely, I mean, barely fuck get tickets. If you waited... Uh, two weeks, you'd be lucky if you get nosebleed seats. Right. Yeah, bro. Yeah, I definitely know that nobody was saying Ian Rotten on this show or Mean Mitch Page or talking about Corporal Robinson or <laughs> or like CM Punk's IWA Mid South days. Well, like honestly, I think that one of the problems that you know we face as podcasters is we talk about the rumors or the dirt sheets, you know. And talking about Owen simply was a nice break from like you know discussing. Oh, you know, let's find something that panhandle or, you know, just basically throw on the table and be like, here's a subject, you know. It's really difficult sometimes, folks, because in wrestling it's nothing but critiquing. It's nothing but criticizing. Did you hear what happened to Stone Soul? It's like, honestly, I try to steer clear of what Meltzer said, but it's kind of hard not to. Oh, and speaking of Dave Meltzer, I'm so glad you, you 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 said this because normally I don't really like to pay attention to wrestling news because it's just so much stuff and it's just he say she say. But uh, Meltzer was saying that 1,500 people left during the Charlotte Flair Alexa Bliss segment. <laughs> okay, let's just. Let's before we get into that whole thing. Um, I don't blame anybody if anybody wanted wanted to leave during a segment between Alexa Bliss and Charlotte Flair because at this point, okay, the spooky shit, the doll thing, come on already. This is come on. This has gone on long enough. You know what I mean? The big payoff is seeing. Alexa Bliss come out with the fucking sexy, skimpy goth outfit on. But, man, the, all the lead-up to the pay-per-view is just of the stupid dolls getting all the fucking heat. I just find it funny. The only <laughs> thing over about Alexa Bliss is her boobs and that fucking doll. 
<laughs> you know what's sad is that she got upset on Twitter, and I I saw the tweet. She's like, "Could you guys please check your sources?" I'm like, uh oh, someone's feathers got um, ruffled. Yeah, and I'm just well, like, uh, <laughs> well, now I was just trying to be, I was just being a little spicy there because it's after hours. But you know, I I really don't believe Meltzer when it when it when when he says fifteen hundred people left because there's that's he, there's no way that he's actually going to get an accurate number like that. I don't want to I don't want to hear it. I don't believe it. You're not going to get an accurate number like that because who's out there like okay fifty okay one two three who's counting these men you know. Nobody's taking a head count, so that's bullshit. And I think that he's just he's just like embellishing these numbers because it's completely obvious that he is a downright AEW supporter, and I think he's gonna take every chance he can to like take a shot at the company. Yeah, they're having a shitty run right now, and things doesn't things don't look that great. But that's bullshit. So fuck you, Dave, on that one. Fuck that. And yeah, I know I was just talking about talking shit about Alexa Bliss, but personally, I do think she's pretty awesome. And I don't know, I stand with her on this. And yeah, fuck you guys. You don't know that shit. Check your sources. Yeah, fifteen hundred. Yeah, that's what he said. Fifteen hundred. That would be like a chunk of the fucking seat. So, like, no, I don't recall seeing anybody get up and leave because the cameras do not pan to the audience unless something dramatic's going on, you know. And so, I'm with Miss Bliss on this one. Like, seriously, dude. He's also the fucker that ruined WrestleMania three for me. Like he said, these people are most likely going to show up to Mania. You can't trust dirt sheets ever. But me being excited because I was going to WrestleMania 34, what a shit show from hell. Let me explain, folks. Dave Meltzer had posted in his report that there would be certain partnerships that would form, like Braun Strowman and Rey Mysterio would go for the World Tag Team Champions. Instead, John Cone's son, Nicholas. I was there. Nicholas, of all people, became a tag team champion. And then it all of a sudden, you know, the title was vacated. And Meltzer's report had also stated that Nakamura was going to win against AJ Styles. But then there's a low blow and there's a DQ. So did he have any impact on the results? Probably not. Maybe he did. But this is the thing that ruins it for people when Meltzer goes off and hauls off and reports, because back in the day, he used to be an aide to the promoters. Like, on Dark Side of the Ring, he used to talk about Brian Pillman, and he used to talk about other dudes that were up-and-comers. But honestly, dude, I mean, like I said, him reporting that Alexa Bliss and Scarlett Flair said even though WWE is kind of, you know, in and out of the shitter. That's terrible. I, I, I <laughs> oh my god, good god almighty. That's oh lordy, I would not want to watch that. Fucking Alexa Bliss with her spooky doll and Scarlet Flair looking like no. a fucking mannequin. Oh god, Beth would take a shit. Go buy a t-shirt match. 
for sure. They didn't even have the dude. They don't even have the stipulations for extreme rules, which is even more more fuel to the fire for Meltzer to be reporting. So it's just like your pay per view is in two weeks, and I know for a fact that they're gonna hurry up and make extreme supposed extreme you know rules matches. Excuse you, it's not extreme rules, so you might as well just call it pay per view. It's literally. Quite literally, folks, the title Extreme is an insult to it. Growing up, I I would watch on closed circuit TV in my friend's house in Philly, you know, and I that's a not a lot that's a long ass drive, but you know, when you have AOL and you have friends who watched ECW and you see what ECW was about, that's extreme. XPW extreme. Uh, WCW, even back in the day when they used to have those mat- those weird theme matches where Abdul the Butcher sat in an electric chair and got electrocuted. Those yeah. were not extreme. Those are not those extreme. Those were not extreme, sir. No, but, well, sir. I'm not getting... <laughs> <laughs> to, to the Tabers of Horrors match where he got electrocuted and the guys had to work with a fucking chair in the middle of the ring. That's one of the dumbest matches in history. <laughs> I know, but compared to extreme rules is what I'm getting at. <laughs> it's just like how do you how do you say it's extreme rules when the last tidbit of extreme was when John Moxley was known as Dean Ambrose and the shield was still a thing, unfortunately, because that got that concept got drug into the ground so much. And they had, you know, kendo sticks and tables and chairs and then Kane got buried in chairs. Like, to the point, folks, where they don't even oh, fucking yeah. gig. Yeah. They don't even fucking gig anymore because they're right. afraid of what Karen and, and uh, what's his name? What's the nickname for dude? Karen and Ken's will fucking say their kids be influenced to do that shit at home. Excuse you, me, nah, folks. it's just money. That's all. It's just money. It's just money. That's all. Yes. But I just feel it's like. It's not because of anything gig. else. They don't have to gig, but for fuck's sakes, man. You involve tables, chairs, table like ladders. I don't give a fuck. When you have the title Extreme in your on your fucking pay per view and your version of Extreme is a Demon King, okay. It's time to scratch my head and go, What in the actual fuck are you guys doing? It's like There might be a there might be like a hardcore match. I don't know. There might be an extreme rules match. I, I don't know. Give it a week know. for them to <laughs> cram shit up our ass and be like, here, here's your matches, blah, blah, blah. It's like, come on, folks. If AEW is getting, getting better prepared and, you know, structuring their shit, you guys, I, I love saying this. I like watching wrestling, period, but son of a bitch. You guys really, WWE, this is, this is just a, you know, shout out to you. If you really want somebody to pay attention to your product and you say that you're improving shit, hurry the fuck up because you've got so much on the line right now and people critiquing, people leaving and all this stuff. I still watch your shit because I'm a journalist, one of – well, I wouldn't say journalist. I don't have a degree, but I consider myself to be an off-brand journalist with no college degree or bachelor's. Well, I have an associate's. The point is – the fucking point is, when, when you have, when, when you have, in a, in a oh pay per view, when you have a fucking pay per view called Extreme Rules, 
And it's literally in the title it says extreme. And then you see a regular match. I could watch this on Raw between Charlotte and Alexa Bliss, for example, or Randy Orton versus Bobby Lashley. And then Big E ends up cashing in because AEW is like checking you on the fucking chessboard nonstop. The Queen's checkmate, checkmate, you know. I mean, they're coming with Kenny Omega versus Daniel. I mean, Brian Danielson off the gate. <laughs> like that's that's a big shot right there, man. <laughs> wow! It's like shots. It's like shots fired. That match was. Let me just tell you. I'm not going to give it away for those who haven't seen. But let me explain this to you. Oh, because like you're going to review it on Saturday's show. You're yeah, gonna leave it for because you. I'm gonna be off the show and you're gonna be taking over AEW for the time being for the weekend and uh, yeah the weekend edition off the rails AEW edition can't wait for that one dude I can tell you right now as in my notes like I'm not gonna reveal folks because I'm not that. Poor bastard that will do that shit. I'm not the guy that reveals endings to movies, and I sure as hell am not going to reveal the endings to actually. I will not reveal my review because let's just say I ramble enough incoherently as is. So, <clears throat> not this is, time. You're going to do a good job. Yeah, I, I definitely do a good job. I'm going to do it justice, and I thought that it was well put together uh, for the time slot that it was on TNT for the from the beginning to end. Arthur Ashe Stadium was nonstop on their feet. And New York is a hard crowd to please, folks. New York is a very hard you know, crowd this, to please. Oh, oh go ahead, sir. My bad. This is a good show here, man. They're giving, like, a pay-per-view over, spread out over two shows, like Omega versus Brian Danielson. I got to get used to calling Brian Danielson again. FTR versus Sting and... Thing and Darby, that's sick, man. My, they got freaking Suzuki and Suzuki and Archer on the show. I'm a big Minoru Suzuki fan, as I stated in previous previous episodes. So having Suzuki goon in the house, that's sick. This is a sick show. This is sick. I yeah, I agree, dude. And like it was, um, well, yeah, Rampage on Friday, I believe. So I think yep. is it yep yeah, it's like their version of Thunder Smackdown like, or Smackdown my bad They're, but like yeah Thunder's bad <laughs> Thunder was a Thunder bad was show bad. like quote unquote I mean I like bad wrestling so I don't care <laughs> you know they'd be like oh cool I get Stevie Ray and Jeff Jarrett in the main event that's alright or I get freaking screaming Norman and Ralphus. That's a oh my that. god! I, I just remember the announcers too for that. <laughs> it switched from Tony something to like Bobby the Brain and Dusty Shivani. Rose and Dusty, uh, Tony Schiavone. And now, folks, by the way, thank God AEW did not fuck up on commentating tonight. They just left Jericho in the back, and I'll get to that on my review. Let's let you know. Um, oh God. Oh God, that reminds me. Keep, I'm keep. I'm glad you keep reminding me on the things I want to talk about. Um, how about uh, Ricky Starks? <clears throat> excuse me. How about Ricky Starks permanently replacing um, Mark Henry on Rampage? 
Let me tell you, that's bullshit. I've watched a bunch of Rampage, and Chris Jericho is a fucking screaming dickhead through the whole damn thing. He cannot shut the fuck up and let someone talk for two seconds. And they already have, like, three other people in the fucking booth. Jesus Christ, man. So, yeah, I think Mark Henry got a fair break, an unfair break. I really think so, too, and I don't even know the whole situation, but if someone replaced me without giving me room to grow or room to develop, that is fucked up because it's like, well, we replaced Mark Henry. Um, wasn't that great of an announcer? Maybe you could have him as an interviewer. Maybe you could have had him uh, outside of you know, backstage interviews, which is funny because I've noticed this, and I'm going to mention this. I'm just a snippet, folks, preview, if you will. AEW he should come out here and kick the shit out of Kenny and Omega right now. That would be fucking awesome. And give him a world's strongest slam or something. That'd be fucking cool. That's what I was saying. That's what I do! <laughs> you could have the big man get himself involved in wrestling again. I mean, after all, there really is no point in having him dress up, you know, nice suit and all, corporate, dapper Dan, mother trucker. Just put him in the fucking mix, man. Bring Mark Henry's ass out of retirement and maybe ha- not have him manage. Uh-uh. No, sir. You put him back in boots. And like my partner says, you have him do something that's unexpected. You not put him as a fucking heel. AEW's full of heels, ours is. And oh, I agree with that. Yeah, because, you know, agree he has- with that. Because they have, like, how many limited baby faces? you got Sammy Guevara, you got Jericho, you've got Hager. Surprisingly enough, dude, you know, the reactions of the crowds didn't really surprise me because it's out east. But, like, <laughs> the reaction they gave Cody, I was just like, wow. It's just normally he gets the biggest cheers and pops in the whole fucking wide world. And now that... Because uh, he's a big dork and Malachi Black looks fucking awesome. Yeah, I love Malachi's. Uh, he, his face looks, his face paint, everything looks so fucking amazing. His gimmick is just by far. Really cool. It's one of, yeah. <clears throat> Outside of that, I mean, you, let's see here. FTR is a very good tag team, a heel tag team. And the I've best noticed. Tag team. Yes. And I, I've noticed that there are certain things that make me go. It questioned me about AEW about certain things, but I will touch with that on my review. But tonight, you know, it really wasn't bad. It flowed very well. But when JR went up in pitch a little bit when he said certain phrases, and it was it was actually decent with Excalibur, JR, and Shivani. I mean, that was it. That keep that trio, please, please do not fuck around with wrestlers on your commentating. That's all I ask. Uh, AEW, my first night watching them on a full show because I have. ADHD folks and I really have a hard time focusing. So and you already have three other fucking shows to watch. Yep. <laughs> it's <just> like, <laughs> like man, Extreme Rules coming up like in what next week or a week and a half? I don't know. You, you but, watch more uh, WWF than I do. Well, then like, <laughs> yeah, I would not. I would not be able to tell you what that bullshit's on. So like, let me it, say. Let me be honest. Watching. <laughs> Any amount of Monday Night Raw, if you're watching three a three-hour Monday Night Raw, that is fucking torture. <laughs> because, dude, like, what he's trying to say, let me reiterate in a different way. From 
watching the Hulu replay, it's just like they capture the bulk of what you're supposed to be doing or list or watching or listening through. It's mostly talking and very little action. And it's still like the lines that they give the fucking wrestlers are force fed in the worst fucking way. It sounds so fake. Like, like if I was to do a promo like this, you know, Pete Simpson last week, you beat me pretty good, but you know, next week you're not going to be so lucky. Like that sounds, that sounds so force fed and it would drive me absolutely batshit insane if I had to read paragraphs and memorize said paragraphs instead of bullet points, man. They're like, well, you don't know so much about the creative process. Like, dude, I don't have to. I'm an audience member, man. If if I'm a fan watching this bullshit, and for three hours you're going to have so many backstage interviews, I couldn't even – I lost count. And then after that you have maybe – one match that no one pays the fuck attention to. And after that, you have another backstage interview, which, why? Because, apparently, we have bad memory. The fans for WWE Universe, we have bad memory, so let's grab that neuralizer and reiterate, this person is going against this person later on tonight. What is your thoughts? My favorite fucking moment from not Raw, but SmackDown, was when Paul Heyman, I don't know if he was improvising, probably was, Called Kayla Braxton and said, you know, called her up and said, you know, This isn't funny. Why are you flirting with me? <laughs> funny shit, dude. <clears throat> quite a, literally, that's like, it's really so, funny. Yeah, because, like, their shows are so fucking monotonous and they wonder why. It's so forced, and they're walking on eggshells to fucking get a point across. And it's like, you don't need that in wrestling. You need fans. Some of us want a certain something. It's like the flavor of fucking ice cream, okay? WWE currently speaking, watching them, it's like, a, it used to be fun to watch NXT. Now it's just like, okay, I really can't delve into it too much, but... The revamp, I'm hoping, goes well, and I'm hoping goes extremely smooth. The SmackDown yeah, roster... It doesn't look that bad, honestly. Yeah. I don't know. Smack, I, th- I kind of like NXT a little bit. Yeah. Their SmackDown roster is doing great. There's one pro- as a few problems. You guys are reverting back to what you were in 2017-18. And that... Actually, no, that wasn't from 2019 I should say in 2020 Baron Corbin does not need to be this dominant fucking heel I don't have a problem with his role or whatever but Kevin Owens reverting back to doing absolutely nothing Sami Zayn ever since you brought his ass up to the main roster what has he fucking done Um, not just those two but there are there's like a huge list so you know Folks, we're going to just end this end this shindig by saying WWE needs to tighten their shit and they've gotten a little better with NXT, but AEW mm. is basically, basically on the ball. Yeah, man. And they're the too, but like right now, man. AEW's got their shit together. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This was a fun conversation. 
that turned into Owen Talk. I mean, that, that turned from Owen Talk, which was great, into just rambling about wrestling, my friend. That's what this show mainly sent around. Hopefully, sorry, folks, if we confused the fuck out of you. It wasn't our intention. But if you listen to this random rambling, thanks. I mean, we hope to get it to 10,000. More than 10,000, we hope to get it one day to a million. But until then, we're just going to section it by sections, you know, 1,000 listens here and there. Be awesome. I know I'm fucking crazy and batshit out of my mind right now because it is later than I'm normally up. But anyways, thank you for tuning in to Russell Radio Network Wednesday Special Edition Pizza normally on Saturdays with me, but he will be away for the time being, and I will be taking over the AEW reigns of things, which is a scary thought. I, I hope yes, they're not. Yeah, so folks, if you want, you can download this episode for free on iTunes. It takes about 24 hours for it to record and master over. If you want to listen back on blogtalkradio.com, it'll master over in two hours. So if you're an insomniac and want to listen to us ramble, 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 it's free. It's fucking free until we become uh, famous and we're going to charge, like, I don't know, whatever we decide. We're not going to be assholes, but, you know, for now, just listen to us. For free, you can listen to past episodes on iTunes for free, Russell Radio Network, the design logo, and all that should be on there. If you can't find us there, you can look through us on Google. That is all for us, folks. If you didn't like what Brian Rails or Pizza Simpson had to say, we got three choice words for you. Forget about it. <laughs> Bitches, we got to sleep. I got to sleep because my yeah, I'm gonna wake up in a few hours for work. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Later. All right. Later. Good night, bitches. We gotta go to bed. <laughs> Personality, the coastal personality, the coastal personality.